and, and just whatever that, that might be helpful to us building a life that is unashamed and undaunted and unstoppable. And more recently, we've been parked in the second chapter of the book of Acts because I'm impressed by this phenomenal flip that occurred, this fantastic turnaround. The early church was in serious trouble. Their founder had just been crucified, yet 50 days later, only 50 days later, they had so completely rebranded, I mean completely, that the Lord added 3,000 believers in one day. And then from there, the Lord added daily to the church. And then he multiplied the number. See, it switched from addition to multiplication. And then multitudes came into the church. Man, how do you rebrand something that effectively in 50 days? How do you turn a marriage around in 50 days? How do you turn a company around in 50 days? They did it. And we're looking at some of the things, the principles that were at play among the early disciples that caused this to occur. And uh, I, I, I'd like to know <laughs> in my own personal life, I'd like for us to know in terms of this church how to do that. One thing I've seen, and I want to again compliment you, is during this entire horrific and catastrophic aftermath of this hurricane, Man, our people have rolled up their shirt sleeves and served, 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 served until we have been told repeatedly that Christian Tabernacle CT has become recognized in this city as the lighthouse in this city in terms of the way that we have served the community. We've been told that over and over again. Our state senators, our state representatives, amen. I mean, like I said, even members of the, the Houston Texans, J.J. Watson, Watt and the whole team, and Coach Mike D'Antoni of the, the, the Rockets and, and everywhere. They've told us that. That's not what we're saying about ourselves. You say, well, is that what we got in this? No, it isn't. That's the whole issue. We got in this to be the body of Christ. But just doing what we're supposed to do, look what's happened. Everybody starts hearing about us. Hey, maybe if we start doing what we're supposed to do, <laughs> there's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> it really works. And I love the fact that wisdom can be captured and encapsulated in just a few succinct statements. Long before writing became common, you know, back years ago, there were many, many cultures that did not have a written language. Some of them to this day still do not. And so they depended upon storytelling as an art form to pass and transmit the acquired wisdom of previous generations to the next generation so you wouldn't have to learn the lesson all over again. And I love that. I, I love these stories. In Africa, for example, there was no written language. North American Indians, except for the Seneca Indians up in, in the, North, uh, uh, the Northeast, they didn't have a written language throughout most of North America. Amen. And uh, as you know, some of those are, are, that's my heritage. And then even in Europe, for many years, there was no written language. The oldest written language is, of course, the Chinese. And uh, so before there was a written language to articulate and encapsulate the wisdom of previous generations, they would tell these stories. And I love, love these stories. For example, one of my favorites, I've used it here before, is in Africa. It goes like this. Each morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. 
He knows he must run faster than the fastest lion or he will be killed and eaten. Each morning in Africa, a lion wakes up. He knows he must run faster than the slowest gazelle or he will starve. In Africa, it doesn't matter if you're a lion or a gazelle. What matters is when the sun comes up, you better be running. <laughs> I love that. Baby, that said it all right there. Amen. You better be running. Well, it went from storytelling to written language to now you get on the computer, right? Well, the latest is T-shirts. It's amazing the wisdom you can learn from reading somebody's T-shirt. Of course, some of them you don't want to read. Here's a few that I've picked up that I, I thought were funny. Of course, I talk to myself. Sometimes I need expert advice. How <laughs> right, about this one? Duct tape can't fix stupid, but it can muffle the sound. <laughs> Never trust an atom. They make up everything. You can't scare me. I've got two daughters. <laughs> Amen. I love this one. And yet... Despite the look on my face, you are still talking. <laughs> it's okay if you disagree with me. I can't force you to be right. How about this one? Dear Algebra, please stop asking us to find your ex. She's never coming back and do not ask why. <laughs> this is one of my very favorites. My bathing suit told me to go to the gym, but my sweatpants said, nah, girl, you're good. <laughs> Wisdom. <laughs> Amen. Math class, the only place someone says they bought 69 watermelons, and no one wonders why. <laughs> uh, this is a good one, too. I messed up. I missed my workout session today. It makes five years in a row. <laughs> wisdom. When we go to the Word of God, we have the wisdom of the ages captured for our understanding. And in the second chapter of the book of Acts, verse 42, I'm talking about a principle that contains a lot more truth that is profound beyond what we realize maybe it is in just a casual reading of this verse. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. That's the New Living Translation. And then in Psalm 16 and 11, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'm teaching right now in this short series, I'm teaching the preciousness of the presence of God. Father, I pray that you would talk to us today and help us. Open your word to our understanding as I pray every Sunday, and I do pray that because I know heavens are as high above the, that, that your thoughts are as high above the earth as, as the heavens are, or your thoughts rather are as high above ours as the heavens are above the earth. And your ways are that high above ours. And so I ask for you to help us to be able to understand what we couldn't understand without your assistance. Open 
the word and help us to receive today, I ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. David achieved in life what anyone would have to call an unequivocal and outstanding success in just about every measure of his life. There were also notable failures, to be sure, in his life as well. And I think these serve as reminders to all of us that no matter how strong we may become, or how much we achieve, we never get so big that we don't need God. Can I hear an amen? He is our source. Without him, we all have feet of clay, every single one of us. In this flesh, Paul said, there dwells no good thing. I admire David. I admire him in spite of his failures because he overcame his weaknesses and achieved a level of success that few people have ever in the history of this planet been privileged or blessed to enjoy. His success is even that much more remarkable when you consider where he started from. He started out as a shepherd boy, a mere shepherd boy. I could say it like that because that was a job that was just about as low on the ladder as any job you could get. More profound, he succeeded in spite of the fact that the people closest to him did not mirror to him the thought or the idea that he ever would succeed. Samuel is sent by God to Jesse's house, Jesse being David's father, to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be king. And Samuel shows up, tells Jesse why he is there, and Jesse proceeds to get seven of his sons, and the eighth he leaves out in the field with his, the sheep. You know who that was? That was David. He didn't even figure or consider this boy to be worthy enough or to have enough potential to bring him in and let Samuel evaluate him for the possibility that he might be the one that would be anointed. Jesse made a decision beforehand. It can't be David. His own daddy didn't believe in him. And in spite of the fact that he was overlooked by those closest to him, and don't you love this about God, that when people discount you and overlook you, God can still have something in you that he's going to call out in the future and cause your life to be notable and great. He did that with David. Amen. In fact, David's meteoric success rise to, to the pinnacles of success happened so fast that he left his brothers in the dust behind him. All of those guys that, well, even Samuel, when he looked at them, said, surely this is the Lord's anointed standing before me. And the Lord said, hey, hey, hold on just a minute. Man looks on the outward appearance. I'm looking on the heart. It's not a one of these guys that you're so impressed with. And oftentimes, everybody can be impressed with everyone except you. And yet the hand of God be on you for something that is going to happen in your life. And never, never forget that. And just because people overlook you, don't think that means God does. I wish I could hear an amen. There is a key to David's rise to success. Are you ready? Because I want to share with you one of life's most important principles. Understanding and applying this principle can make your life become extraordinarily successful just as David experienced. It will happen in your life too if you apply what I'm going to share with you. The principle is this. You ready? Genuine success on the level David achieved is found only 
if you are successful in both the vertical and the horizontal dimensions of life as well. Horizontal being the material world, the vertical being the spiritual aspect of your life. You can be hugely successful in the horizontal dimension. Wealth, fame, money, assets, popularity. David had all of that, didn't he? He hobnobbed with the rich and famous, the wealthy, the successful of his era. But that alone did not bring David success because all of us have heard the stories or know someone who has had money, who's had fame, who's had popularity, but they were miserable. They're empty on the inside. And that is because the horizontal dimension of life cannot meet the greater need. You are a spiritual being. And if that is not ministered to, there's going to be a gaping emptiness inside that you can try to stuff and feel with, you know, sports and, and sex and, and everything out there, drugs and money. And guess what? It just won't work. David tried that. Amen. On the other hand, if your success is only limited to the vertical dimension and all you do, and thank God for everybody that does this because, I mean, of the two, if I'm going to limit myself to one, either the horizontal or the vertical dimension, I'd rather be successful in the vertical, but even that's not success. And let me show you why. You can devote yourself to prayer and intercession. You can spend your life entirely and strictly focused on spiritual matters and at the end of your life had zero impact in the world around you. What the world says about that is that you're so heavenly minded, you are no earthly good. That's not success either. Real success is being successful in the horizontal and in the vertical. The horizontal success meets the needs you have inside of you to make a mark with your life. The vertical meets the need of the spiritual component of your life. And frankly speaking, if you think money, fame, and fun are enough to make you happy, I don't mean to be unkind, but you still got a whole lot to learn about living. And it seems strange to me with all the examples that of those who have had fame and fortune and yet were failures in their relationships and unhappy and emotional bank, uh, emotionally bankrupt, that we as human beings would even need to be reminded. I mean, how many times do we have to see that lesson played out before we have this eureka, aha moment that says, hey, you know, it doesn't work. That's one of the things that should have been passed down from previous generations. So David was successful in both dimensions. To achieve success in both the horizontal and the vertical dimensions of his life, David was, listen, a warrior worshiper. You're hearing that. He was not just a warrior, but he was a warrior worshiper. And he wasn't just a worshiper, but he was a warrior worshiper. This is a role that every believer is called to feel. David could face Goliath, but he could also turn right around and put on an ephod, the priestly garment, and worship before the Lord with all of his heart. Like David, we are called to stand and fight for righteousness against the Goliaths that threaten our world with enslavement and captivity. But at the same time, 
we're called to love God with all of our hearts. It's the vertical dimension. Now let me unpack what all of this means for a moment. Because believers, I find, frequently misunderstand what it means to be a warrior worshiper. And they choose to be one or the other when you're supposed to be both. You see, really, God's called you to be a king and a priest. Amen? A king is the horizontal dimension. That means you have authority over resources and things. You impact people's lives. The priest, you have authority in the vertical dimension. Amen. And you have impact there. The apostle Paul tells us that to be a warrior, we have to please God, the one who has called us to be a soldier. And in standing for righteousness as warriors against the darkness of this age, it is extraordinarily important that we remember who the real enemy is. Amen. Like, like, like I said, give me a moment to unpack that. People are not our enemy. The Apostle Paul tells us the war we fight is not against flesh and blood. It is against the spirits that are behind the things that we see going on all around us and that offend our sensibilities and contradict our values and seek to destroy what we hold sacred and dear. It's the spirits behind those things. And very many times, Christians forget that. And they get into shouting matches and fights with people. And that's not who the enemy actually is. The enemy is the spirit of the age that is controlling what's happening. Oh, I wish I could hear an amen right now. One of the mistakes that believers have sometimes made, and it always discredits our cause when this happens, every single time it does, is we start fighting against the people who do not embrace the values that are dear to us. We don't fight the spirit behind it. We fight the people. And rather, it's those who promote sex outside of marriage, pornography, abortion, gay rights, a transgender movement, any of that, are lifestyles that are contrary to the word of God. We are supposed to love people. I'm going to say that again. We should never treat one person differently than we treat another. Amen. Doesn't mean we agree with everything that's going on in their lives, but we are supposed to love people. Amen. Here's why. Trey, come on up here. Amen. Uh, if a war breaks out, I just want you to know in advance, this guy's on my side. And you come at me, you, you got to have to deal with the guy that's behind me. Amen. <laughs> Trey is a mountain of a man. He's a son to me in ministry. I want to make a point. Uh, if you would, uh, Tim, please come on up here. You don't mind helping me, do you? Tim's one of our ministers as well in the church. Now, I want to show you both of these guys are incredible guys. And I, I love these guys. But I want you to stand in front of Trey, if you would. And let Trey put his arms underneath you and just hold you there. Okay. And you, I, I, know, I know your heart is pure, and I know that Trey's heart is pure. So don't assign any ulterior motive to me making this guy right here the devil, okay? This is the spirit of the age. And this is the guy that's promoting the, the, the things the spirit of the age is trying to push as an agenda in our society. What we do is we fight this guy right here. 
And what we ought to be doing is fighting this guy right here. Oh, I need a, a, a response. We get into arguments and shouting matches and, and Christians have, have bombed abortion clinics. Can you imagine? There has not been a single time any of this, this kind of activity has occurred that it has helped our cause and it always set us back. Because we do not fight flesh and blood. We love this guy right here. Jesus said it this way. Before you go into a strong man's house and steal his goods, you've got to first bind the strong man. Trey, you're going to have to help me do this. Let me do it, son, because you're bigger than I am. You got to get this guy bound right here, and that frees this man. Somebody give God some praise. The alcoholic is not the problem. The person addicted to pornography is not the issue. The guy pushing gay rights is not the issue. I don't mean to, to, to bring up things that are sensitive, but hey, I'm a pastor. I got to preach the word of God here. This guy, I got to love. I don't care what his position is. I've got to love this guy. That's my calling. Jesus loved everybody. Sinners felt comfortable in the presence of God in the form of Jesus Christ. They never sensed rejection. It's this fellow right here that we're dealing with. Thank you for both of you guys. Amen. Give them applause. Amen. I appreciate them helping us. And I mentioned this, and I'll bring up a couple of issues. I heard just this week about a school that is no longer allowing gender-specific pronouns to be used in the school on the campus. Can't use him or her, he or she, because you don't want to try and stereotype somebody's identity because they're now teaching sex and gender are two different things. Many places, they don't even fill out gender or sex on the birth certificate anymore because you don't want to tell a boy just because he's got male genitalia that he's a boy. This is a crazy, and forgive me, screwed up world we're living in right now. Amen. Or the little girl that went to the classroom in the first grade just a few weeks ago in Los Angeles. This really happened, first grade. And a boy in the class, she called him by name, and he got upset because he was no longer identifying himself as a boy. He was now identifying himself as a girl. Six, six years old. Somebody's been watching too much Disney Channel. Amen. And he went to the teacher, and she went to the principal, and the six-year-old girl who did not realize he was now being identified, self-identified as a girl instead of a boy... She had called him by his male name. She gets hauled into the principal's office for over an hour and reprimanded about how she's insensitive. The parents were livid. Amen. Just this week, the Boy Scouts of America have announced they're now allowing girls into the Boy Scouts. 
I don't know how the Girl Scouts feel about that. I hope they don't st stop selling Girl Scout cookies, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what's happened? In the absence of the church understanding that we're warriors, and because we have fought the people instead of the spirit behind the issue, what's happened is the media, Hollywood, everybody out there is telling the world what we're supposed to believe and even telling the church what we're supposed to believe. Amen. They're forming our values for us. And then every once in a while, the sewer cover gets pulled back and we look into the mess in Hollywood. And what do we see? We see the Harvey Weinsteins. Like he's got a right to tell us anything about morality. I, I needed a better amen right there. Over 30 women have come out. Accused to him. I don't even want to go there. And if you think he's the only one in Hollywood. The very people that have been telling us what we're supposed to believe. Look what they're doing when it comes to the light. He's not the only one. Where do you think the term casting couch came from? That's been around since I was a kid. You get your role because you, you know, you play the game, you get promoted. And all of these A-list actors defending this guy are being silent, which is just as bad. I'm not here to jump on Harvey Weinstein. What is it about the name Harvey? Hurricane Harvey. If your name is Harvey, you might consider a name change. <laughs> no, it's a joke. Please forgive me. I don't mean to make you feel bad. I'm convinced more now than ever that the world, with the world and the condition that it is in, we as believers must be warriors. But my appeal is that we must be more than that. We must be worshiping warriors. And as believers, we should be passionate about God and about seeing his righteous kingdom come. Well, at the same time, we're to be passionate about loving and serving people. And here's the crux of the entire matter. As warriors, we are powerful to stand for God or fight the battles we face, but not in our own strength. You don't have the strength to fight that big guy that I just pointed out that's behind all this. You don't, have the, you don't have the strength in yourself to do that. Amen. The yoke of the enemy that is holding humanity in bondage can only be broken by one thing. It is destroyed by the anointing that is working through uh, us. Isaiah 10, 27, the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. What destroys the yoke? Say it with me, the anointing. What destroys the yoke? Say it again, the anointing. I don't care how much you pray, God, anoint me, anoint me, anoint me. That is not, listen close, how the anointing comes. To succeed as warriors, we have to draw our strength from being with God. That's one reason I've called us to a month of prayer and fasting. It is the time we spend in worship, the worshiping warrior, and in learning how to live in God's abiding presence, it causes our strength to be renewed. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. And this is the way it works. The word Christ is the Greek word Christos. 
And what it literally means is the anointed one. And what it refers to, listen to this, you never read about Moses being anointed. I'm, 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 I'm digging real deep right now. You never saw Moses be anointed. He was called. He was the voice. He was the guy that went to the top of the mountain. But that was not what his role was to portray in terms of the identity of Christ. Watch this now. Christ, which means Christos or the anointed one, is a type not of Moses, but of the high priest of Israel, Aaron. After God told Moses in the book of Exodus to anoint Aaron as high priest and his sons, strangely, we find that Moses, in fact, only anointed Aaron. That seems to be a grave omission and oversight, but it's not. The reason Moses only anointed Aaron, though he had been instructed by God to anoint Aaron and his sons, the reason Moses only anointed Aaron is very important. It has to do with what happened after Aaron was anointed. Aaron put on his priestly robes. And in Psalms 133 and verse 2, it is like the precious oil running down the beard, talking about the anointing oil. The beard of Aaron running down on the edge or all the way down to the edge, the bottom part of his garments. His garments were soaked with the anointing. Now we come and we get prayer and I've got anointing oil here, right here. And people get anointed and what we do is we take a little dab and make a little cross on the forehead or something and pray in Jesus name and that works that's not how they did it in Bible times they had a lot more than this and they used it on one person sploosh you got baptized with oil now I don't think it's in the volume of the oil because hear what I'm saying that was a type anyway so people get all hung up on what kind of oil should I use? It needs to be a special oil imported from Jerusalem, praise God. <laughs> from the Mount of Olives. And a certain tree in the Mount of Olives. That's 2,000 years old. That was no doubt the tree Jesus knelt under when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you send me $50 and I'll send you a little vial of it just like that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Blessed be his holy name. Amen. You got folk out there that do that stuff. Frankly, the Bible doesn't say what kind of oil it is. You get in a buy and it can be pins oil for all I care. I don't think it makes God any difference. It's not the oil, it's an obedience to the type that is being set forth in the scripture. Oh, somebody in the house. I actually have a minister friend of mine that when he got saved, somebody asked him to pray for him. And he was so young and naive, they didn't have any oil. He went out and got some motor oil and anointed the guy. And God healed the guy because it's a symbol. You hear what I'm talking about right now. In this, we see a matter of grave importance that is set forward. For us to examine because it is a perfect picture of what happens to a believer when we embrace Christ in relationship. He is our high priest forever 
after the order of Melchizedek. Anthony, uh, come on up here if you would. I saw you here. Yeah, there you go. Anthony, please come on up here. Anthony's a, a son in ministry to me. Now, I want you to watch what's going to happen right now. I'm the high priest. This is my son. This is why Moses did not anoint, come on over here, the sons of Aaron. My garments are soaked with oil. You are my son. How are you going to greet me? There is a transference of oil from me to him. He gets smeared with what I'm full of. Oh. There's an overflow that is taking place. Thank you. Amen. This is a perfect picture of what it is like for us to serve Christ, who is our, according to Hebrews 5.10, high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Amen. A perfect picture. There's an importation of what? Remember, we can't defeat this big guy within our own strength. But in the embrace of the high priest, there is a transfer. Remember, Christ Christos, the anointed one. As we embrace him in relationship, what happens is there's an importation of what it takes to break the bondage of the guy that's holding society in captivity. Amen. Now, what happens if Anthony and I are not communicating? There is no importation because there is no intimacy. In chapter 16 of the book of Psalms, there is something that is incredible that I want us to turn to in just a moment. I want you to, to well, let's, let's go there now. David gives valuable insights as a worshiping warrior that can assist us in our quest to abide in the presence of God. In this chapter, David actually outlines 12 steps that helped him to remain in the presence of God. And I'm going here today, and I'm changing my approach somewhat, because what we're doing right now, we're in a season of prayer and fasting. If you're not aware of it, I've asked the church to pray and fast for the next 30 days, starting last Sunday, and have communion in their homes every day. Starting next Sunday, we're going to have communion each Sunday until that period of time is over. If you have prayer requests, Look, you can, put, you can go to the, the church app, download the app. Robert, put it up there if you would, please. Uh, I think you got that ready by now. Do you have it ready? Where are you, Robert? Amen. There it is. That's a church app right there. Download it. And you go there, open it up if you would. And right up there at the top left, it says prayer request. Now open that up. And there's a form where you can put your name, your email, your phone number, and pray for I want us to bring our prayer request as a church body before the Lord. There's going to be breakthroughs this month. Amen. Somebody's going to get set free from the hold of that guy that's got his arms wrapped around them. Amen. And we're also, we have a place on the church website where you can do the same thing. Thank you, Robert. David in Psalm 16 devotes this entire chapter to how to live in the abiding presence of God. And here is the mistake some of you are making. You're trying to fight this battle in your own flesh. And it's not working for you. Amen. You're losing the battle. 
And it's making you feel more ashamed and more condemned. And what happens when you begin to, to do that? Here comes Christ. Here comes God. Adam, where are you? But you're hiding because you know you have failed. And self-condemnation makes us not approach the Father. So what's the reason between Anthony and me not having a relationship where there's a transference? Oftentimes, as it plays out in the lives of believers, it's because of our failures. And we all have them. That doesn't excuse them. And you're meant to work on them. Hello, somebody? I want us to go to this chapter, and I'll only go through a couple of verses with you, and then I'm going to close. But we'll deal with this next Sunday, and I want you to pray these verses this week. Get the app, download the, the message on the podcast, either from the, the church website or the podcast site. Either, I, don't, I don't care where you get it. We'll have over 100 nations that will be listening to this message today. And if they're doing it overseas, from China to Russia to Latin and South America to Europe to Africa, then you need to be doing it as members of this church. We are in a time of drawing near to our Father so that we can get a transference of his anointing. David opens the chapter by praying this. He first acknowledged his dependency upon God and the very real sense of security he found in him by saying, keep me safe, O God. I want you to raise your hands and say that with me. Keep me safe. There's some things you can't protect yourself from. There's some things you need God's help. You need his oversight. For it says, I have come to you for refuge. Whoa. Where does it always start? People get hurt. I met somebody that used to attend the church here some years ago, raised in the church. They came. I thank God they came. They helped during the relief efforts. And I found out that they're not attending here. I knew that. I hadn't seen them. And they mentioned they didn't go to church anywhere for a long time. And nobody came to find them. It's not supposed to be that way. Look at what the scripture says. It starts on our part. I have come to you. We got it twisted. Somebody's supposed to come find us. And we're going to sit back here and just get mad and fume and get upset. If somebody don't come find us. You know what you're doing? You're just stewing in your own juices if you do that. You're getting bitter. Never do that. I've never waited. As long as I've been in church, I am not going to sit and wait for somebody to come find me. If there's food on that truck, I'm going to go get my share. Amen. I'm... You hear what I'm talking about? Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to wait and sit back there like, like grumpy. One of the seven dwarves. You're going to have to come coax me to, to, to get what I need. No, get beyond that. Look, what you got to do is you've got to come to him. Jesus said, you ask and you'll receive. You seek, you will find. You knock, it will be open. It starts with us. Can somebody say amen? He's there. He's available. I have come to you for refuge. 
If you want to experience a life in the presence of God, this is where it must always begin. You start with an awareness of how dependent we are upon God. I want you to say that because it flies in the face of those who are so insecure that in their desire to appear to be all of that, independent, resourceful, autonomous, they can't acknowledge their dependency upon God, lest in their minds they appear to be weak and inadequate to you. I want us to get beyond that and just lift our hands and say, Lord, I depend on Can you do that? Get in the habit of doing that. Lord, I depend on you. I can't make it by myself. I need somebody that knows what I'm talking about. That you've been in some places in life that you could not get through on your own. Lord, I can't make it by myself. I depend on you. David goes on to say that God is his refuge. You know where this comes from? It comes out of the Levitical law. He is, of course, thinking of the six cities of refuge, six that were strategically scattered across the nation of Israel that had been established as a place for someone to flee to who had done something that put them in danger of judgment or vengeance. And the Bible gave the specific example. It said, if you're out and you're chopping wood with an ax and the head of the ax flies off the end of the handle, that's happened to me before. When it flies off, you don't know that I used to, I've chopped trees down, do you? Amen. Yeah, I've done it. Amen. And uh, raised on a farm, you get to do a lot of stuff. Amen. And the axe handle, the heads separate and fly off. And the Bible said it strikes another man who's also trying to do the same thing. And it kills him. And you've just killed a wage earner, someone who supports a family. And those people, they're broken. And they're angry. And in their passion, they're looking at you saying, you killed daddy. And there was a provision made because his brother might just come after you and want to exact vengeance. Why didn't you make sure that axe head was more securely attached to that handle? There were six cities that were strategically scattered across Israel that you could run to called cities of refuge. And when you got inside, that city of refuge, they could not come in to harm you. You had to stay inside the city because if you got outside the city, then you were fair game. Now, they were not supposed to take your life, but in their passion and desire for, for vengeance, they might do it. And here's the thing that, that puzzles me about these six cities of refuge. Six is an incomplete number in the Bible. Always, Everything God did was completed in terms of sevens. For example, seven creative days, seven days in a week. Israel counted years, not in decades of 10, the way we do here in our modern era. They actually counted them in groups of seven years. Their decade was not 10 years, it was seven. And they had a seven of years, that's what they called it. And every seventh seven was followed by the 50th year, which was the year of Jubilee, when all debts were canceled and everything that you had lost had to be restored back to you. And not only was, is it that in Isaiah, there, there are seven spirits of God. Jesus taught us to forgive 70 times seven wrongs done in the same day. 
And you go to the book of Revelations, and it, it's crazy with, with the number seven. I mean, the scroll that of future reckoning is sealed with seven seals, and there are seven angels with seven trumpets and seven vials. And, and man, we could go on and on with this. So why seven, not seven cities of refuge, why six? I'll tell you why. Because God himself was intended to be the seventh. Six were physical locations, but there is a place in the spirit realm that you can step into where the enemy cannot touch you. Amen. I want to give you a deeper understanding of Psalms 91. He who dwells in the secret place, we're talking about the abiding presence of God. When you step into the city of refuge, which is God, the enemy has no jurisdiction there. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Work it, work it, work it. God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Amen. I'm not talking about what you deserve. You might deserve judgment. But in God, justice has nothing, no way to get a, a hold of you. Hallelujah. And here's the good part that you were safe until the high priest died. And only then could you come out of the city. And that canceled your indebtedness and the enemy could not, never touch you. You had to wait till the, 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 the high priest died. But here's the problem. He might not forget. The enemy might still be remembering stuff he was supposed to have forgotten. <laughs> the good news is the high priest I'm talking about, he's never going to die. You didn't catch that. I am he that was alive and was dead, and I am alive forevermore. Somebody giving praise. <laughs> Woo! Abiding in the hiding place that is God. Christ is our high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. And so Christ literally becomes the fulfillment of what the Old Testament high priest was. We're anointed in his embrace. And when we are in his embrace, embrace the song said, in his arms I feel protected. Enemy can't touch you when you're in the arms of God. But if you're out here, you're trying to fight this stuff by yourself, it doesn't work. You may have some success in the horizontal dimension, but you'll not have it vertically. And guess what? It equates to emptiness on the inside. You've got to be a worshiping warrior. You've got to have success vertically as well as horizontally. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Amen. The second verse says this. David declared his submission to God and proclaimed his conviction that even in his best moments, he could never be as good to himself as God had been to him. For he says, I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to acknowledge your dependency upon God. 
The second thing you've got to do is be submitted to God. David said, you're my master. We don't like that phrase. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And so you got teenage boys bucking against their dads. Many, many years ago, my dad told me, like I said, raised on a farm. He said, you see that old bull out there in that pasture? He said, you see those young male calves? Watch what they do. And they go up against that big old bull and they start pushing against him. That's how life is. The next generation pushes against the generation that preceded it. Trying to find its place and create space for itself. David declared, I'm not pushing against you, God. I'm kneeling before you. You're my master. You're my master. This is not easy for me to do because I have a knee that's bothered me for many, many years. But at some place in your life, you need to learn to kneel before God. If not physically, spiritually, and submit to him. Can I hear somebody in the building say hallelujah right now? Here's the point. When you're not yielded to God, you're walking in the flesh. And you're trying to attack the problem by dealing with not the spirit behind it, but the situation in which the spirit presented itself. But that's not where you're going to find success. Here's what's actually happening. When you're walking in the flesh, you have stepped outside. There's this line right here. You've stepped outside the city of refuge. And there's a story in the Bible about this guy that was a mighty general for Saul. And he led his army and they attacked David and his group. And David had a guy that was, man, was he a warrior. Woo, he was bad, bad. I mean, that guy was something else. And that guy that was so tough on the battlefield, he had a younger brother that could run. He was the Usain Bolt of the day. And Saul's side lost. And this mighty general who was also, he was fierce in battle. He kept telling this young man that could run, you better stop chasing me. I'm going to hurt you. He told him that. Go find somebody else. Don't, don't chase me. I'm going to hurt you. And that young man wanted to make a name for himself. Get, get you a pen and write down what I'm about to say. When you want to make a name for yourself, you're getting ready to put yourself in a situation you might regret. And he kept chasing this man he was not prepared to meet. You better watch what enemies you attack and make sure you're prepared before you address them. There's certain preparation that needs to be done. I need to be in the embrace of my high priest, my daddy. Hello. I need some of that oil smeared on me because I can't, I can't fight this by myself. And do you know what that guy did? He was riding in his chariot and this pulled by horses. And this young fleet of foot warrior that was following him kept on right behind him. He wanted to take him out. And he turned for the last time and he said, you better stop following me. And he didn't. And he took the backside of his spear the hilt, and just went, whack. And it went, this guy was such a warrior, he hit him right here, it pierced his chest. The man died on the spot. The man in the chariot said, how am I even going to hold my head up to your brother? 
if I have to kill you. But the young man would not be deterred. And you know what happened? This guy that I'm talking about that killed that man, he fled to the city of refuge. And he wasn't ever supposed to come out of the gate. You can read this story. And you know what occurred? This guy waited because the devil will draw you out and he is in no hurry. He will set up traps for you that will take years to come together. A spider web that you get used to. Things that you begin to allow in your life and slowly he puts one piece of the puzzle after another. And you're allowing things that you shouldn't be allowing. And he's getting all that situated. Am I talking to anybody right now? You're watching some stuff on the internet you shouldn't be seeing. And finally, the guy in the city of refuge thought, the danger is past and I'm done with this story. And the man called him outside for a meeting. A meeting. How are you going to go meet with somebody that's trying to kill you? I said, my bodyguards out there, Trey, you be ready. Be on, I'll have you on speed dial, son. Amen. You need some, you need some help. And he went to meet this guy because he thought the, the season and period of danger and anger was over. And this trained soldier is walking toward this guy that stepped out of the safety zone and he's out here vulnerable now. And as he's walking toward him, he's adjusting his clothes and his sword falls out. Dummy, run. The man reaches over and picks up, oh, says, excuse me, my sword fell out. <laughs> he might have hit me, but it would have had to be in the back. It wouldn't have been in the front, I'm telling you. And do you know that guy stood there and he came right off the ground with that sword and ran him through the heart. And this is what David said when he heard about it. He said, you died like a fool like a fool, like a man that didn't even have good sense. What you doing outside that zone of safety? You need to stay in the city of refuge, wrapped in the embrace of the arms of the high priest. He's not going anywhere and neither should you. Hello, somebody. In his arms, I feel protected. In his arms, never disrespected, never disconnected. When you're in the presence of God, enemy can't touch you. Would you stand with me right now? Amen. This week, I want those to be your two prayer points. God, I'm dependent on you. I can't make it without you. And the second thing is, I submit to you. You are my master. Pray that with your family this week. Family, this week, let's recognize our dependency on God. Tell your children, kids, I know you've learned to look to daddy as your source. But let me tell you who daddy looks to. Daddy don't depend on himself. I depend on God. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Some trust in horses and some in chariots. But I will trust in the name of the Lord. It's God who teaches me to war, teaches my hands to war, and my fingers to fight. 
I don't want to just be a worshiper. I want to be a warrior worshiper. I don't want to just be a warrior. I want to be a warrior worshiper. I want to fight for God and stand for righteousness in my own life, in my community, in my culture. The only way I want to do that is if I'm in the embrace of my Father and I have developed the vertical dimension. I want us to spend a few moments in the vertical dimension. Would you come and join me right now? And we're going to close the service here.